Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood, and I've been asked more times than I can count, how do I stay current? There's a lot to this question, and I'm working on a solution. Code badges. That's right. You heard me right. Basically, the idea is, is that you come and do a code badge, and that gets you an introduction to a topic. Then you can decide if you want to pursue it further. But while working on the badge, you gain enough proficiency to be able to pick it up again if you need. A lot of technology comes through on the bleeding edge, and not all of it sticks, but the principles do. So doing badges on the technologies that will get you ahead will provide you with experience needed to stay competitive. Plus, it offers social proof that you know something about the topic. The project is on Kickstarter right now. You can support it and get on the launch list at codebadge.org. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Angular Story. This week, we're talking to Dave Bush. Dave, do you want to say hi? Hi. Uh, Now, you were on episode 203 of Adventures in Angular. Uh, we talked about where to store Angular configurations. Yes. I think that came out about a month ago as we record this. We're a few episodes ahead, so if people go look back, I think it was released in July or the beginning of August. Yeah, right. August I don't 21st. remember exactly. I was surprised at how quickly it released. Yeah, well, at the time we were a few ep- where we were basically recording one week and uh, releasing the next. So <laughs> I think we're working on getting a little bit further ahead. So, yeah. All right. But yeah, so here we're here to kind of catch your story, see where you're at and what's going on these days with you. So do you want to just uh, quickly uh, let people know who you are and then we'll start talking about your story? Oh, sure. I've been programming for about 30 years, as you'll find out from the interview today. And been primarily, you know, recently in the .NET space and uh, most recently... Uh, in the Angular space for about the last uh, four-ish years, mm-hmm. uh, heavy in JavaScript, client-side development. But uh, I tell people I've been doing uh, web development since Al Gore invented the internet. <laughs> nice. And and JavaScript about as soon as it was released. So, but always mixed with backend stuff. Now it's more just front. Yeah. Yeah, JavaScript's been around for twenty-something years now. So. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time. Very cool. How did, how did you get into programming? Well, I, I'm going to need to back up a little bit and take a run at it because uh, it's a kind of a unique story, although everybody's story is a little unique. So I grew up in the days of mainframes and minis and never really had access to any kind of computers other than the fact that my mother was a key punch operator. So mm-hmm. I got taught how to read the, the key cards at a rather young age, and that was really my first exposure to anything computer. Yeah, uh, so, so we'll just let the listener know, hey, if he sounds a little bit different, because you do, the quality's a little bit different. We had a little bit of a mic issue, so we switched. All right, so I'll back up with the, uh, with the story. So uh, I grew up in the days of mainframes, and uh, many of them never really had access to a, a real computer uh, of any sort, other than the fact that my mom was a key puncher operator, and uh, I got to read the the 
key punch cards at a rather early age, but that was really my first exposure to anything to do with computers. By the time I got to college, I, I really knew two things, uh, camping, uh, like summer camps and that kind of stuff, uh-huh. and uh, maintenance. And I figured a, a major in camping sounded a lot better than a major in maintenance. So that's what I went in for. By my senior year, uh, the PC was just starting to make a, a breakthrough. Uh, we were still in the period of CPM machines. I had friends that were building uh, Z80 CPM computers in their dorm room. And uh, that looked really interesting. And and by build, I mean, like, they were soldering the wires together and flipping. Oh, them. wow. Not like it is today. Really uh, quite hardcore. I went to school uh, at an engineering school. So all of my friends were uh, engineering majors. So... My senior year, you know, I'm looking at this and it looks pretty cool, but I went to school on a large portion of grants. So by the time I got to my senior year, I was going to graduate no matter what I did. It was too late in the game to change my major. Mm-hmm. Jump ahead a few years. I ended up at uh, Radio Shack when the Tandy 1000 came out, and uh, which is one of the first uh, IBM PC compatibles. Uh, we don't even really remember that there was such a thing as an IBM PC these days, but that's the thing that started it all. And uh, one thing about the Radio Shack that I worked for uh, in the Chicago area was they encouraged us to take stuff home. So I brought the computers home. I had a Model 100, which was kind of the precursor to what we would think of as a laptop today. Uh Brought that home and played with it. Uh, Had a color computer that I played with and uh, got into uh, eventually programming in basic. I'm not talking visual basic. I'm talking basic with the line. You know, you got to type the line numbers in. Uh-huh. Before you put anything in. And that was really fun. And the next thing you were supposed to learn at that time was Pascal. So I got a Pascal compiler and tried that out. And I honestly could not make Pascal work in my brain. Um, <laughs> it just, like, it did not make sense. So the next language you were supposed to learn was C. And I, I had determined, it's like, well, I'm going to get C a shot. And if I can't make C work in my brain, I'm just going to give this whole thing up and you know, find something else to do with my life. But I picked up C and it was, C is very mathematical in the way it's structured. And my brain worked that way. And C and I became really good friends. So that's, that's pretty much how I got going. My wife and and her family encouraged me to go back to school. So I went to DePaul for a seven month career change program. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was basically a program for people who already had degrees. So I was able to then skip the whole calculus thing right and, and just get 20 credit hours of computer science courses and a piece of paper that said i knew what i was doing oh wow yeah you don't really hear too much about actual career change programs other than maybe boot camps these days so right it's it was kind of similar to a boot camp um, right maybe not quite as intense but it was you know cobalt cics jcl a little bit of lotus one two three a little bit of dbase three you know, data flow diagrams, which was mm-hmm. kind of the precursor to UML and some of those other uh, structured ways of talking about your programming. Yeah. And then they throw you out into the real world. Yeah. I did a little bit of UML in college. <laughs> yeah. I actually taught UML for a while. Oh, wow. Never, yeah. I never really liked it, but I didn't either. <laughs> but definitely interesting. So at what point did you settle on JavaScript then? Well, settle. <laughs> Uh, when the internet became publicly available, I wrote my first website in Notepad. 
with the uh, the uh, HTML spec printed out in the dot matrix printer, you know, beside me so I could you know see what the syntax was. And then uh, when JavaScript came out, uh, I started playing around with that a little bit for some of the websites that I was working on, and just kind of gradually, you know, wove it into what I was doing on the front mm-hmm. end. But you know, like most people, with you know, I started out with uh, at least in the Microsoft world, I started up with ASP to do anything of really any substance, and then uh, ASP.NET when that came out, and right. the web forms programming and all that, and just, you know, slowly added in uh, the JavaScript. Right after the dot com crash, I had a uh, a gig where they had brought me in to uh, fix some fix some bugs, is what they said. It was basically uh, one of those uh, projects that was never going to work. Uh, <laughs> I worked some of those. Yeah. So I I came in and uh, one of the first things that they had me do was, you know, fix a tooltip issue that they had with, you know, cross-browser JavaScript DOM issues. And that was all MS before jQuery or any of those, you know, really big frameworks. It was low-level JavaScript. Why mm-hmm. is it working this way in IE and not that way in Firefox? Right. So, so yeah. So you you get in, you you start kind of folding the JavaScript into your .NET and other work. So so are you primarily then a .NET developer or? I have been. My my career path went from Clipper, which was a D based compiler, uh-huh. and C. We used C back then to uh, do things that really need high performance screen stuff in particular. And then C++ came out, and I did a lot of C++, Borland first, and then I went, uh, I've been a, a contract programmer for a long time, so I went on an uh, interview uh, with a recruiter, and he said, well, it's great that you know C++, but we can't place you unless you know Microsoft. So I went to the store and bought the Microsoft C compiler, and two weeks later, <laughs> I got a job doing C++ in Microsoft. So not for Microsoft, but you know, using a Microsoft compiler. So a lot of object oriented there during the dot com days, dot com I was working for, we did a lot of uh, Java on the front end, C++ on the back end. And then when .NET came out, I recognized particularly with all the wizards that were available to actually get stuff done that for the enterprise, this was going to be a game changer. And so I really jumped on the .NET wagon at that point. That makes sense. So uh, this is something that's a little bit outside of what I normally ask, but I'm curious. Uh, mainly because I get asked about it a lot myself, is getting into freelancing. So at what point did you decide, you know what, I'm going to go out on my own, I'm going to do this for you know other people on a contract basis versus holding down a full-time job? That would actually had been the plan all along. I had the mistaken idea that if I uh, were self-employed that I'd be working for myself. What I quickly <laughs> found out is that when you're self-employed, that just means you have multiple employers rather than right. one. But what had happened was I, I actually got a laid off would probably be the proper term. Uh, we, there was a, there was a uh, communication issue at best, a uh, personality conflict at, at worst between me and my manager at my mm-hmm. last real job. And so he eventually fired me, but he gave me a very nice severance package. So with that, I went and started doing W2 contract programming. So I was working through agencies primarily at that time. During the dot-com, I got hired back in to a company. And the way that that worked was uh, I told them, well, I'm not going to become an employee unless you're paying me what you're paying me as a contractor. And they said, no problem. 
So everything else that I was doing still looked like a contractor. So I still count that as contracting time, but it was, you know, that was, you know, a, a direct contract with uh, somebody I already had met previously. And then uh, after that, the, dot, the whole dot-com craziness and the crash, and I woke up one day and said, you know, I could be taking advantage of a lot more benefits if I incorporated at least as an LLC. Mm-hmm. And so in 2000, I switched to LLC and, and did a little bit more direct contracts and then supplemented with uh, agencies. Gotcha. So how do you find contracts these days? Well, the funny thing is, uh, I I started working for Bloomberg as a contractor in December. And uh-huh. in June, uh, they converted me to an employee and it was pretty much the same deal. They They made the employee offer attractive enough for me that it was worth converting. I like the guys that I'm working with. So I'm actually an employee now and not doing any contracting. Mm. So first time in 27 years. Wow. So uh, what what contributions have you made to the Angular community that you're excited about or proud of? I would say probably the, the, the biggest contribution that I've made is the writing that I've done on the blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've gotten a lot of, particularly, <laughs> particularly when I started taking it down, are moving it over to uh, GitHub. I got a lot of noise about how much you know people appreciated that. But I had worked as a trainer for about three and a half years for a training company, uh, teaching other programmers programming. And that's where I learned better how to teach programming concepts to other programmers. And so I, I kind of took that experience and converted it into articles that I would write for my blog. Some things I wrote were just you know purely rants and other things were you know, like the article that you picked up that we did the interview on, mm-hmm. more of a, you know, how do you solve this particular problem? And I've got several of those on the uh, on the blog. Right. So some of the listeners are going to be thinking, and this is something that I also plug in my uh, how to get a job book is building a portfolio and having a blog is one way to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do, how do you recommend that people get into blogging? Uh, I've been doing it for so long. I think I started that blog in 2007. Well, what do you think makes your blog successful these days then? Maybe that's a better way to frame it. Uh, just keep writing. I, I've been constantly amazed. I'll, I'll write an article like, this is an awesome article. People are really going to love it. You know, It's going to get a lot of traffic and it just falls flat. And then I'll just write something that's you know on my heart. And you know, I just, you know, it's it's time to write. And, you know, one of the things is consistency, just write every week. Mm-hmm. You don't know. And like, it'll explode. And I'll, I'll suddenly, you know, I'll get posted to Reddit or wherever. And, you know, suddenly I've got all this traffic that I never expected. So you, you can't tell. The other thing I would say, if you're going to start a blog is if you don't have a thick skin, when you start, you sure will when you end. <laughs> That's true um, of podcasting as well. Yeah, there there are people out there that it, it doesn't matter what you say, you're not going to make them happy. And you know, some things I've said things that were inaccurate, and I've been told in not so kind words that it was inaccurate. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, you learn to you know read the comment for the content and not for the attitude behind it. And yep. You know, take the value out of the comment that you can. Some of them I just plain deleted because I'm like, you know, if if I'm reacting to that, that's not the kind of comment that I would want to read 
going mm-hmm. to somebody else's blog. Like I, mostly I don't even right. read the comments anymore because a lot of places it's just all of that. But, uh, you know, if you've got a valuable comment to add, then I, then I would leave it. Uh, now that I've moved my blog to get no pages, I don't even have a comment system because the blog right at this point in my life is just for me. So, right. you know, if I have, I, I write so I have some place to point my coworkers if they're asking me a question, how do I do X? I can point them to an article I've already written about it. Or if I do something through six months from now that I wrote about, you know, six months ago, I can go back to the blog and, you know, mm-hmm. get in contact and figure out how to do it. If other people want to read it, that's great. But really, the, the blog at this point is for me. No, that makes a ton of sense. So what are you working on now? What am I working on now? I would say the, the stuff that I'm working on now is uh, other than uh, obviously work. I've been trying to come up. Well, I've been working with NGRX a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I was listening to uh, Ward Bell, you know, trying to explain that a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I'm still coming, trying to come up with uh, a good way of drawing a picture of that, that I can explain to somebody new to it. Because it's very, I find that my teaching style in particular is trying to get people to see in their mind something that can't be seen. Mm-hmm. It really describes programming in general. But I've been trying to come up with a way, aside from describing how NGRX works, of reducing the boilerplate. And I know there are, you know, like, you know, Ward and John Pava have, you know, their thing to try to reduce that. And there's some other stuff out there, but I haven't found one that really fits what I'm looking for. And the thing I'm looking for is, I have example is I have a, an application that I'm working on at work right now that uh, most of the, the actions and the reducers and the effects, they all look pretty much the same. Right. But they're not necessarily CRUD, mm-hmm. which is what uh, right. Ward Bell and, and, and John Poffa's thing is targeted to. I would like to be able to use the, the templating model you know, I like can create templated classes mm-hmm. and templated functions. I would like to be able to apply that to more of NGRX. So a templated reducer or a templated effect or a templated action even. But the way the actions are set up, you really need templated modules somehow. So I'm still trying to figure out how to actually get that working. But I think if you can get the template thing working, then it makes the whole rest of how NGRX works a lot easier to code anyhow. You're not like constantly doing what's essentially copy and paste inheritance. Right. Um, I'm good at that. Yeah, well, we all are, but I don't like (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you. Yeah. Um, Don't make me think about it, right? Well, it's not so much don't make me think about it, but if I ever need to change something, now I've got to change it in five different places. Yeah. Um, That's what really makes it a, a bad deal. Um, I've also got a get, a get Started book that I wrote before I converted to Employee that was originally on Amazon. I took it off of Amazon, posted it on GitHub. Right now, it's based on Angular 5. Once Angular 7 comes out, I want to update that book to Angular 7, the new RxJS stuff that just came out that changes how that whole system works with pipes and uh, you know, add in a, a few other things that I've learned since particularly around how ngrx works and maybe if i figure out the templating stuff maybe the templating stuff will show up in there and then finally the the other thing i've been pondering and this is like long-term goal but it seems to me that we ought to be able to take the view part of react and mix it Mm -hmm. with angular 
they like substitute the view part of Angular with the view part of React. Mm -hmm. So if you've got an option there of, of which of those you want to use. Uh, and I'm very interested in uh, functional programming, which, you know, RxJS kind of gets at. But wouldn't it be interesting if we could use like something like Fable, which is an F-sharp transpiler for JavaScript, mm -hmm. and use that to make more of our application actually functional? So those are the things that kind of, you know, sitting in the back of my mind as eh, interesting concepts. Cool. Yeah, I, I'd love to see just how all of that can come together and really apply to what people are doing. Because, yeah, I'm a big fan of making it accessible to people where they're at. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. a lot of the, I know a lot of people are huge fans of F Sharp. I know a lot of people, you know, the, the view portion of Angular. Yeah, there's no reason why we couldn't switch that out for something else, except for maybe how tightly coupled it is into the rest of the framework. Uh, yeah, I think the place where you might have trouble is a lot of the dependency injection uh, doesn't mix well with React. Yeah, um, that that's probably fair. But uh, one of the things that I do with my code is uh, I put all my logic in a component service. Mm -hmm. So my view is just rendering data and sending right. messages out. So I don't necessarily do... The only dependency I inject into my view layer is that provider. Oh, interesting. So I could just new that up instead and probably get around that particular hurdle. Right. Interesting. So uh, if people want to find you online, where do they go? Obviously, we've uh, talked about the blog, but are there other places too? Yeah, uh, I'm, uh, I'm pretty much Dave M. Bush all over the place. So uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, GitHub. Um, those are really the, the primary ones. I'm not, to be really honest, I'm, I'm not really active on any of those. Uh, LinkedIn's probably the best one. I've got about, I think I'm almost to 13,000 connections on LinkedIn. And so if people want to click to me there, that the value to them to connecting to me on LinkedIn is the way LinkedIn search works is LinkedIn searches for people that are three connections away from you. It's not, they're not, when you do a search, they're not searching the whole LinkedIn universe. Right. And so, you know, try, connecting to people that have a, a lot of connections already just make you more visible. Yeah, I think I have seven or 8,000 connections on LinkedIn, so. Yeah. And then I accept connections for everybody, from everybody, so. Yeah, so do I. I'm, and, not, I'm not very discerning that way. Yeah, unless, unless you prove yourself to not be worth connecting to. Yeah, exactly. You know? But um, uh, for the most I've got part, the same policy on Facebook yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, I post stuff about my kids and stuff on Facebook, so I tend to be a little more discerning there. But yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but but yeah, on LinkedIn, I just figure anyone who's connecting with me is probably a podcast listener. Um, I may have seen their name float by on Twitter or something, but maybe not. And mm -hmm. so I just yeah, everybody gets the benefit of the doubt, right. and that hasn't that hasn't hurt me in any way. So, yeah. Right. But I'm a little bit more careful with my privacy on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn or Twitter, you know, again, it's like, you know, I just don't post my whole life on Twitter. So, right. Right. So I get that. Awesome. And if people want to get your book, let's say they're um, still using any other five or they think, yeah, they can you know what, I'm just going to send you a couple links to, to those things. So, yeah, just drop them in the chat and we'll get them in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, I think that's my... Oh, the, the first one is linked to my blog. And the second one is linked to the book. Gotcha. 
All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Dave, All right. Of course. I do, but th- this week uh, my picks are my my pick, I should say, is a concept that I actually have tried to uh, incorporate into my life, uh, particularly this last year, is how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. And so what that's actually turned out to impact is it's encouraged me to um, dress a little better, which is kind of tricky. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, you had a, a guy on the podcast who was wearing a suit to work, you know, to shake things up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't quite go that far, but um, I'm probably the best dressed guy in my shop. And that's not because I'm particularly like I'm not wearing a suit, but I am paying attention. <laughs> you know, I try to write clean code. Uh, I try to keep my office and my car clean. I'm learning stuff that could generally be referred to as uh, better social skills mm-hmm. and paying more attention to my general health. But, you know, just because, you know, the more of that to do, the more of that you do. Yep. Yeah, I think I've uh, mentioned that concept on the podcast as well. Yeah. And it's it's definitely a truth. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's easy to slip back when you get overwhelmed, too. And then you just have to say, well, you know, I, I've, I've got to stick it out. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing is you don't don't beat yourself up when you when you slip up. Mm-hmm. Right? Like my office right now is <laughs> not particularly clean. And I look at it and I'm like, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> yeah, I won't show you mine. It looks way worse than it is. But, uh, yeah, I, I hear that too. It's a lot better than it used to be. And the main thing is, is that we cleaned out our garage and I had a whole bunch of old PC boxes in there. Mm. Um, and <laughs> so, yeah, just to give people a little bit of glimpse into what my life is like or has been for the last little while. Um, and I'm doing much better about it now, but uh, my dad passed away in April and I wound up getting a whole bunch of, he had like six old computers in his storage in his dental office oh wow and my mom's like i don't know what to do with these and i'm like well i need to make sure that you know if there's any data on them that they get wiped and you know and and i'm probably going to set a few of them up as just like little you know see if i can play with like home automation or things like that so i I think i'm going to wind up using some of them but anyway so they were sitting in my garage and we cleaned the garage out and they wound up in my office so i literally step over three computers on my way out to use the bathroom (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I mean, all I really need to do is just, um, you know, just slide them under my, I, I have two standing desks in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just need to slide them back in the back under there where I'm never going to actually put my feet and right. then I can get to them when I have time. But right. I've got like four other things I've got to get through in my office and, you know, and take care of before I, but they're just not high on the priority list, but yeah, definitely. So, yeah. When uh, when our dot com crashed, I ended up with five gateway computers. So oh my wow! Basement, my basement looked like a gateway sales room. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. So yeah, I've I, been scrapping, scrounging parts off of them ever since. I just replaced like uh, I used the video card on my computer mm-hmm. up until June. So from two thousand until June. Oh I mean, wow. The same gateway video card. <laughs> I upgraded. It. I was like, this is not going to last too much longer. I better replace it before I need to replace it. Yeah. So, are you on a PC then, or are you on a Mac? I am on a PC. I'm. 
I'm slowly getting to the point where it doesn't matter anymore, but particularly yeah. when I was, you know, writing .NET a lot, it was just, it, it was paying too many of my bills. Yeah, I, I totally get it. Yeah, I have a PC sitting under my desk and then I have my, I actually just use my laptop for everything. So I just plug it in and off I go, um, right. which is nice because I have the same consistent environment everywhere. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's nice sometimes to have a PC. And yeah, I've gotten to the point where you can do a lot of this stuff on Windows and it just doesn't really matter. So, right. Because right. most of my stuff is web development. And so it's just how well my backend runs on my machine because Node, I really haven't had problems with on Windows. So, no, I haven't either. And if I did, uh, Windows 10's got the subsystem. So, yep. Not, not a big deal. Awesome. Well, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. So, um, one pick, and I may have mentioned this on another My Angular Story. I've recorded so many of these. Uh, last week, I recorded 17 podcast episodes. This week, I'm on track to do about 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And next week, I'm going to be at Microsoft Ignite. So <laughs> I'll probably wind up recording four or five just at the event because that's what they're bringing me out for is to mm-hmm. talk to Microsoft experts. So yeah, forgive me if I've already picked it. But uh, one pick that I have is I installed the Mojave, uh, Mac OS Mojave beta. The release is scheduled for like a week from now as we record this. But uh-huh. I have this um, display link pluggable uh, docking station for my uh, MacBook Pro. And it actually runs three monitors. And I, and I have four monitors here. So Dave's up on the one on my top left. And then I have a web browser open on the bottom left. And that's where I searched like what episode he was on and all that stuff. And then I have one up on the top right, and that's where my chat goes. So Slack and Mattermost. And then my bottom right is usually where I'm, I have like Visual Studio code open when I'm writing my book or writing code. So the, the top left is kind of the catch all. That's where everything goes, except for, you know, those particular things. The other three have particular uses. Anyway, uh, High Sierra, uh, Mac OS High Sierra had an update that broke the display link driver. And so then I had to, you know, put like eight dongles on my four USB-C ports in order to make everything work. And so, um, you know, every time I pull my MacBook uh, MacBook Pro out of there, I'd have to, you know, unplug everything and then I'd have to bring it back and plug it all back in. And uh, it was just a pain. So I, they, they let everybody know that if you had uh, Mac OS Mojave, it was fixed. So I was like, well, I'll just try the beta. And I've been, I've been pretty happy with it so far. I had to do a couple of things in order to make it work. And I'll just throw those out, you know, since people are probably going to wind up upgrading pretty soon after this episode comes out, because this episode comes out in like three weeks. One is, is that Visual Studio Code could not find Git. And it turned out I needed to update the Xcode command line tools. So just be aware of that. And if you have Xcode installed, you can just run the command line tools on the command line to install them. If not, you can just go download them. They're they're not that hard to find. But yeah, that was one thing that kind of got messed up. Homebrew wasn't happy until I updated iTunes to iTunes 10. So if either of those things matter to you, then then yeah. But everything else has worked fine. There have been a few things where I got the warning, your app isn't optimized for this version of Mac OS, and so it kills it. But then when it starts back up, it tends to work some of that out. So anyway, been pretty happy with it so far. And uh, one other thing that I'm going to point out is when I travel, I also use ExpressVPN to uh, mask all my traffic because I just don't know what I'm sending it over. And I'm too lazy to keep track of, oh, 
I really care that this stays private. And I don't really care if somebody sees that I'm searching for Microsoft, yada, yada, yada on Google. And so I just VPN everything. And so, yeah, so that's, that's kind of what I'm running there. Um, most of the other traffic that I run, I mean, Zoom is encrypted. A lot of the rest of this is encrypted. So I'm not that worried about it. Mm-hmm. But I can, I'm never, I, I can never remember. Okay. I'm going to log into my bank. Now I need to VPN. No, I just turn the VPN on when I get out there and I turn it back off when I get back home. So, right. I actually found a really nice app, uh, called Encrypt Me, um, that is smart enough to turn itself on and off based on whether you've told that, that the network you're on is, safe or not. Oh, nice. Yeah. So you can just have it always be on if it doesn't know the network. And when you come home and it's on your network, it knows to turn it back, back off. Yeah. I wish ExpressVPN's client would do that. That would be nice. Yeah. Oh, I know where I am. You know, I guess though you could also turn the VPN on at home if you don't trust your ISP. But Right. Anyway. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. Yeah. It just encrypts it but it just encrypts it and then tunnels it. The other thing I like about ExpressVPN is that you can tell it that you want it to look like you're in a particular part of the world. So if you right. want to watch like British shows, you can tell it to pop out in London instead of New York City. Right. So anyway, but yeah, a lot of fun stuff. Anyway, I, I've babbled for long enough about all the stuff I like. So uh, Dave, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, just really interesting story. It's funny because a lot of the people that I get, they've either been on the show and you know they're fairly well known in the community. And I think you're you're somewhat well, well known, not as much as some of our guests, and probably more than some of our other guests. Right. But also, you know, nobody really has the experience or the depth of experience that you've uh, demonstrated, and so it's also been nice just to go, oh, okay, you know, you kind of come up through this, and then the web's sort of your second chapter of your career. Yeah, I've I've often reflected on when when I started, you know, like I started with Clipper, which is a D-based compiler. There mm-hmm. wasn't really a lot to know. Yeah, right. You, if you could spell computer, you could probably be a programmer. And now I'm looking at the guys that are starting out. You want to be a full stack developer. You know, you try to get into, you know, there's HTML, yeah. there's JavaScript. There might be you know some framework that you have to know, and that's just for the front end. And CSS. Yeah, and CSS. Yeah, it just it's it's crazy the amount of stuff that you have to know just to get your foot in the door these days. Yep. Yeah, it's it's wild. Well, and then if you want to do any back end, then you've got the whole ecosystem there too. So uh, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. You know, I I just mentioned the front end, and then yeah. like the .NET developer, there's you know C Sharp and ASP.NET, and are you going to do MVC or you know ASP.NET Web Forms? If you're doing Web Forms, how about Model Presenter and all mm-hmm. these design patterns that we've come up with? And yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, everybody go check out the episode we did with Dave about uh, configurations for Angular apps. Uh, and we'll wrap this up and we'll catch everybody next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. <laughs>